Good morning. It is so great to be together with you this morning. It's so wonderful to enjoy a time of worship together. And before we begin this morning, I want to read a thank you card that was sent our way. And uh, I wanted to share it with you. I didn't give it, get a chance to give it to Mr. Joe, and it's, gonna, it's a little lengthy, but uh, it was one from the Collie family, uh, in particular Glenn and Cindy. Uh, but it said, Dear family at Saudi, it's with profound gratitude that we write, and we truly do not know how Hannah, Ezra, Kaliana, and Eliza Jane would have made it the last year and a half without the very generous help of her Saudi family. Over and over, you showed the world that you are Christians by your love. In reality, we are sure you do this for many, but surely it was life-changing for them, and we will always be indebted for you, indebted to you for all the housing, the moving over and over, the supplies, the encouragement, and most of all for prayers that have been lovingly and faithfully answered. We are deeply thankful. And we'll post this, of course, as we do with our cards out in the lobby, and you can look at it. But we are uh, thankful to them and thankful to all of you. As they said, uh, this congregation is truly giving and kind, and not uh, just for anyone in particular, but to anyone who asks. And we're thankful for that and to be a part of this congregation. We're thankful this morning to uh, those who have led us so far, Charles leading us in our singing, and Chase and his thoughts around the Lord's Supper table, and Travis and his prayers we're glad that you're here today, as we want to make mention usually. Uh, we will have lunch in a few moments if you'd like to stay and be a part of that. We'll have our service this afternoon at 1.30. If you have a bulletin and you look ahead at the outlines for the day, we are going to look at the word worry this afternoon. I can't promise you that I have all the answers uh, for worry. I can promise you we'll look at some of God's answers for worry to try to help us. And we hope that you can be with us any or all of our services uh, this, this day. And we're grateful that you're especially here this morning. We're thankful that we are here this morning. The Danleys kind of rolled in on two wheels. We actually came in a three-car convoy this morning, if you saw us. We had one car that's full of food for camp. We had one car that's full of all the Danley stuff for camp. And then we have a bus that is full of camp supplies. And, and as I pulled in the parking lot, someone looked at me and it says, you look like you have a weight problem. And I thought, well, that's not very nice to say to me this morning. But yes, we do have a weight problem. But hopefully we're not overweight and we can make it to camp this afternoon. And we'll begin to set up and we'll have folks that will be coming uh, tomorrow. And we're greatly uh, looking forward to that. That is me and you're probably wondering how I ended up in that picture. And I call it one of the, the worst decisions that I ever made in my life. And, of course, you know that sometimes, maybe it's not you, but maybe it's just me, but sometimes we do dumb things to try to get attention and to get people to laugh at us, right? We tell our kids not to do that, but that's sometimes what we do. And so a few years ago, that's just what I decided that I would do. I had heard of a comedian who was on a radio show called the, the Bob and Tom Show out of Ohio, a comedian by the name of Haywood Banks, and he had taken a toaster and he had fashioned string or things to it and wrapped it around his neck like a drum. And he took some spoons and he would beat on that drum and he would sing a ridiculous song about toast. And I got a lot of laughs, mainly out of 10 to 15-year-olds. But they laughed and they enjoyed it. And then they asked for it again. And then they asked for it again. And here we are probably at least seven years later. And I'm still being yelled at to bring that toaster on stage and to beat on that toaster and to sing a ridiculous song. And I joke about it being one of the worst decisions because at least for seven years now, that's what I've had to do every summer is sing this ridiculous song at McCroy Bible Camp. 
Hopefully you can see on that picture, but I'm wearing a shirt that says, I heart VBS or, or I love VBS. I had found that at a thrift store, thrift store because years ago when I first started going to McCroy Bible Camp, I would spend my lunch breaks going to thrift stores looking for really cool shirts to wear out at Bible Camp. And I had found that one. I thought that fits right along. It's not vacation Bible school. It is camp, but it, it goes great. I do heart VBS and Vacation Bible School. I do also love Bible Camp. And when we think about Bible Camp, I am an extremely blessed man, of course, because of the woman that I married, but also because of the people that I've been blessed to meet because of her, including, of course, my in-laws, who are on the right side of the picture there as you look at it, and one of my great mentors in the faith, Roger Campbell, and his wife, Donna, who are on the left side of that picture, Around 2003, Roger and Freddie decided that there needed to be another Bible camp in this particular area for young people to attend, and out of that decision came what we called for 20 years McCroy Bible Camp. For 20 years, it had a profound effect on young people from Dunlap and from Cleveland and from North Georgia and from Chattanooga and from surrounding areas. I was also blessed to meet two other people who are in this picture, Chad and Reagan Dollahide, and they're with us this morning, and we're thankful for that. They've got three of their seven children with them. They've got four that were born to them and three younger ones that they've adopted that will be coming up tomorrow with Roger and Donna to be with us at camp. Chad and I know we are fully aware that we married up. We know that. It's usually told us as well quite often, but it has worked out perfectly that the son-in-laws, the sons-in-law, and the daughters of the two people who started McCroy Bible Camp were able to join together and begin what we are going to call East Tennessee Bible Camp. Now we're going to get to the sermon in just a moment, but I wanted to take just a second this morning and say, share some of this information with you and to say thank you. When we, the Danleys, took this job here, I know that I told the elders about the week that we were involved with with McCroy, but there was no discussion about us taking over McCroy one day or that we would be turning to this congregation for help. But as we have made this transition over the last year and looked at beginning kind of quote-unquote our own Bible camp here, the elders have been tremendous at welcoming the opportunity, at offering assistance in different ways, at just supporting us with something that we love to do. But not only have the elders done that, but you all have been very kind and generous in offering your time, offering your assistance, and yes, of your, even your money to help with our camp. And please allow me just a moment to say thank you. We're excited about the week that is coming up, and it's only possible because of your generosity. As was mentioned, Chase mentioned in the, uh, the comments about the offering there, we have been studying generosity in, on our Wednesday night Bible class, and Kyle Butt talked about it on Wednesday night in our lesson that we watched about how when we give back to God, we are able to help in the work that he is doing. And this is exactly the kind of thing that we are talking about. If you were with us on Wednesday night, in case you weren't, uh, he told a story of a preacher who was mentioning how much it cost to print out tracts to hand out and how sometimes they only cost five cents. And then he told a story about a man who had been converted and obeyed the gospel because of a tract, and he met a little boy after the service who said to the preacher, that was my nickel that paid for that tract for that man to become a Christian. Well, after services on Wednesday night, I was standing outside, and Miss Billy came out to me, and she said she had forgot to bring some of the supplies she had signed up for, I think. So she handed me a few dollars, and she said, there's my nickel 
And I said, well, I appreciate that, Miss Billy. And I'll tell the kids one morning at breakfast, these are Miss Billy's cups that she paid for that we could have uh, for our breakfast to drink our juice out of and milk. But that's the kind of thing that we've been talking about when it comes to our generosity, and we are truly thankful for your help. Uh, one more note, as you see on the screen here, some of you have asked about visiting. We'd love to have you. You can come see us anytime. We're at Booker T. Washington State Park, which will be off of Highway 58 out near Harrison. But you can certainly come see us in our evening worship period, which will be at 7.30. Men like Chad and Keith Ritchie, who worked in this area for a while and now is at the Jacksonville Church of Christ in Jacksonville, Alabama. Roger Campbell and others will be speaking to us in our evening worship series. And so we would love to come and have you enjoy our worship, some snacks, and even some activities. You know, I do heart Bible camp. That may be a little hard to see on the screen, but we know that we're not the only Bible camp. In fact, so far this summer, our young people have attended camps in North Georgia and in Carnes or up near Knoxville, at Fall Creek Falls, at Horizons out in Henderson, and of course our week that will begin tomorrow. And we're thankful that our young people can go all across the South and this state and this area and visit many wonderful camps. And as I, as I have been thinking about camp, I've been thinking about a lesson that I heard my father-in-law preach several years ago. In fact, I don't know if it was the first time but as I was looking back at some of my notes, the first time that I show was at least 10 years ago in 2013 that he had last presented some of this material. The question is, why are we losing our young people? But he, here's the interesting thing, and I want you to tell me. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it for just a moment. As we think about that question, why are we losing our young people? Number one, is this still true? Ten years ago, my father-in-law spent time preaching a lesson, thinking and saying that we, have, we were losing our young people. So, first of all, is this still true? Do you think it's still true today? But number one, again, I guess, that's probably supposed to be number two. Number two... As we're going to look at some reasons this morning, do you think the reasons might be the same? You know, it's mind-blowing to me to think back 10 years and think about what's changed over the course of 10 years. There's a lot of things that we use today that weren't around 10 years ago. So when you think about that kind of idea, do you think the reasons are the same or the reasons are different even if this is still true? You know what hasn't changed? Humans. You know what hasn't changed? Young people, teenagers. We see sometimes in our world that it's not uncommon for young people to lose interest in spiritual matters as they get older. It may start at a younger age, maybe even a preteen or early teen years. It could start as they get off to college or even a little bit later. But it's not uncommon for them to lose interest in spiritual matters. It's not uncommon for them to pull away from their family or pull away from the church or to become distant with those that they interact with. It's not uncommon for young people to start missing services, just some, right? That maybe they go off to college and they're on their own or they turn 18 and, and they had a really hard day Saturday working and so Sunday rolls around. It's like, I, just, I really could use a little more sleep. But I'm going to go Wednesday and I'm going to go next Sunday and maybe they do, but then the next Sunday rolls around and they're just pretty tired again. And they miss some, but then they eventually just start missing all together, just completely quit. It's not uncommon for our young people to date and engage and even marry non-Christians. So you say, well, preacher, I don't know if that's a sin. I don't know if we could argue if it's a sin or not, but I think we could make a good argument. It's extremely, extremely unwise to attach ourselves and have our young people attach themselves to someone who's not going to help them. 
If I ask you about your health and I said, why would you do things that are unhelpful to your health? You'd say, I don't know. I need to stop. Why would we do things that are unhelpful to our faith? And sometimes as young people get older, this is an issue. It's often, of course, sometimes the case that they become involved in dangerous or destructive behaviors, things like drugs or alcohol or other substances that they might abuse. It's not uncommon for them to get involved in these things as all of this begins to pile upon one another. The questions still exist. Are we losing our young people and are these reasons still the same? Why would any of this happen? Again, I don't think we'd argue this morning these are are bad things. We know these are not good. But why is it that they would happen? And maybe unlocking that door would help us. And so let's consider a few things together this morning. Number one, why are we losing our young people? We might say because of the bad influence of their friends. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. The Proverbs writer, the wise man says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk with them do not walk in the way with them keep your foot from their path that's the proverbs writer we know the new testament passage first corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 evil company or evil companions corrupts good morals or good habits i usually mix the the versions up on that but but when we think about that same message that we need to be careful the people that we are associating with that is true for adults We see ourselves being pulled down sometimes by the world. Why would we think that it's any different with our young people? Truly, they need to have friends. It's a good thing to learn to be social and to have social skills. Truly, they might go to school and make friends there. And truly, they might be able to have a positive impact on those kids. That's what we desire. But we could probably line up a pretty long line beginning right here at the front of the auditorium, out that door and through the parking lot and maybe even through most of Saudi Daisy of people who have stories of the other variety in which they wanted their children to be good influences, but ultimately they were pulled down and pulled away from serving God because of the bad influence of their friends. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes effort. It takes watching by parents. It takes help from parents to try to encourage them. But when we allow them to be surrounded by people who have no desire to serve God or to follow Christ, then why are we surprised sometimes when the answer to the question, why are we losing our young people, is yes, and one reason why is because of the bad influence of their friends. They're going to meet a lot of different people in this life, from kindergarten all the way through high school, from college and on, but we need to do our best to encourage them to find good friends who will help them, who will not pull them down. Whether it be the Old Testament and the Proverbs writer or the New Testament and the words of the Apostle Paul, the encouragement is the same. Guard yourselves with who you are with, who you spend your time with, and who you are around. And I think we would all agree we can encourage our young people that way. Number two, maybe it's not just their friends, but maybe stepping on some toes a little bit more for all of us, it's the poor example of their parents. The poor example of their parents Again, I cannot speak to every situation. I, 
I don't like always giving caveats, but I hope you understand that, that I cannot speak to everyone's situation here in every single thing and say, well, your children are faithful because of this or, or unfaithful because of this or that. We know there's some principles that are laid out in the Bible that we should strive to live by. That's what we're talking about. Some people are perfectly faithful. They do their very best, and yet their kids still fall away. I'm afraid what happens sometimes, though, is parents make a lot of poor decisions or they do a lot of this thing where they say, don't do this, don't do that, and yet they do that, and they do this. And sometimes they get older in life, and they shrug their shoulders, and they wonder why their kids have fallen away from the faith. But the answer is simply because of their poor example. Young people often see their parents. Don't go to Bible class. Don't make it a priority to come together to study the Word of God with brothers and sisters. That might be Sunday morning. That might be Wednesday night. That could be a Monday night. That could be a Thursday night. Whatever Bible studies we're having, we should strive to be a part of. Young people often see parents who don't attend any other service maybe than a Sunday morning. They never make it back for Sunday afternoon or for, for Wednesday night. And, and maybe there's a good reason sometimes, and other times there's not a good reason. And you know what's true about kids? You know what's true about young people? They often see through our mess, right? They often know what the case is. That we could get up every Sunday morning and be there, but they understand that when the preacher talks about or the elders encourage them to come to everything else and the other things that are going on and they choose not to, kids, kids see through that. They do. Maybe they don't attend on Wednesday night. Maybe they don't support gospel meetings or vacation Bible school or other things in the area. Maybe they emphasize the material over the spiritual. How much time and effort do we put into our kids when it comes to college, when it comes to their schoolwork? And by the way, we're there right now. We got one that's fixing to be a senior and, and having to talk about test taking and college and, and whatever he wants to do and those kinds of things. We emphasize that so much and forget about applying spiritual things. We emphasize sometimes work or school over Bible study. And what happens is we have parents who walk and talk and look and act and sound and behave like the world. And then they shrug their shoulders and wonder why their children end up like the world. They shrug their shoulders and they wonder when those kids turn out just like they were raised. It takes a lot of inward looking takes a lot of self-examination. Sometimes young people fall away and leave the faith because of the poor example of their parents. Number three this morning, what about the weak image of the church? Sometimes it's because of the weak image of the church. Maybe you portray this and you don't even mean to. Maybe sometimes you mean to. But our young people see an image of the church when they look around them. And can I interject here? Not just at their parents, but at all of us. Right? I have children that I'm responsible for in my home, but I am so thankful when our men get up here and pray for all of these young people in these two rows and around the auditorium because we all have a part to play. When I say thank you for Bible camp, when Charles stands up and says thank you for lads to leaders, whatever it might be that we're involved with, we mean it. We're thankful for the way you influence our children for good. But sometimes might it be that we show them a weak image of the church. Think about it this way. From the time that a child is old enough to pay attention, and if we're generous, we'll say eight years old. Once again, I think children are aware a little more before that. But if we just say maybe seven to eight years old, from that time, they begin to form an image of the church. And not just an image of the church, but what it means to be a Christian. 
So, when they begin to form this image, what do they think from the time or the lack of time, maybe spent at services like we've already mentioned? What kind of image do they begin to form when attending services is not a priority? What kind of image do they begin to form of the church from what is said in the car after services are over on Sunday morning or at the lunch table? What's said about the preacher or the sermon or the song service or the elders or some decision that's been made? What kind of image are they forming when that's what they're hearing? What kind of image are they forming when they hear their parents at home talking about the preacher or the elders or other church members, maybe gossiping, maybe backbiting, maybe slander, whatever word we want to choose, but sometimes that is what they constantly hear about the church. What kind of image are they forming? Are they thinking that, you know, when I get out on my own, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to be a part of that. Are they thinking, well, if this is how my parents are and that's how the church is and it's just full of awful, hypocritical, ugly people, why would I ever want to be a part of that? What image is formed based on what they hear? I think it's a good challenge for us to consider that and what kind of image we are portraying. Look, there's lots of issues if we're going to deal with people. We're going to talk about the church actually this week at Bible camp. It's going to be the theme of our Bible classes and our adult Bible classes. We're going to talk about the church. And one of the adult Bible classes is going to be on one of my favorite phrases, kind of favorite phrases, the good thing about the church is the people. And the bad thing about the church sometimes is the people. It's human nature. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We mess up. But we learn how to form a family amongst the church to stick it through thick and thin, to stay together and to stay as a family, serving together, loving one another. Sure, there are going to be problems. And sure, sometimes kids are going to hear adults talk about those. But are we giving them a weak image of the church? Because they're going to look at it one day and say, I think I'll pass. I don't want to be a part of that. Number four this morning, why are we losing our young people? Maybe it's the lax standards that we sometimes have at home. The lax standards that we sometimes have at home. I've always wanted that shirt. I don't know if it's actually one or I just need to make my own that says, you know, parenting is not for the faint of heart, right? It's not, not easy at all, really, most of the time. It's really difficult. But that doesn't mean that we should just give up or relax or be easy in all the things that we do. Training young people requires high standards. We know Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and you may live long on the earth. But that's not all. It's not just that children have to obey, but you, fathers in particular, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This, this family unit and the way that they are to work together. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, not a guarantee from God. But if you spank every time you're supposed to spank or ground or, or teach them everything about hard work and all this, that it's going to work out perfectly, but a, a general application of the way that things do work. When we stick to what is high standard, what are high standards, then there's a good chance they will not turn from the way that they should go. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen 
unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. It doesn't just stop when children are born. Some grandparents, some grandparents, of course, love, right? Love their grandchildren, think they hung the moon, everything. Some say, well, they're not my job. I did my job, and, and now it's out of the way. Uh, there's a little bit of truth to that. But teach them to your children and grandchildren? Yes, because we shouldn't be involved as a family unit in all of these things. You know, there are some things that are lacking or lax in our standards. Sometimes training young people requires discipline. And yes, that word, corrective discipline, and yes, that idea of maybe spanking or something along those lines. We know the Bible talks about this idea of corrective discipline or using the rod. I'm not advocating unnecessary or over-the-top abuse at all, beating in any kind of way like that. But sometimes what is lax in discipline is the kind of discipline that requires maybe a rod or something like that to help correct them, to teach them what is right at some times. Often allowing our children to carelessly have open access to movies, to TV, to YouTube, to cell phones, to social media is a dangerous proposition because of what they can see. We tried one time at our house to download the, the app that is called YouTube Kids. Would you be surprised to know that there are a lot of predators who have found out how to work around those particular standards that are there and still insert videos that children should not see? That if they just keep clicking from video to video, they can find their way to something that is violent or even sexually related or something along those lines? We do not need to be lax when it comes to our standards of our young people and how they have access to things. And friends, some of this isn't even a biblical thing. Some of this isn't even a spiritual thing. There are lots of experts who would line up and tell you how dangerous it can be when young people are involved with social media way too early or at too young of an age. It can harm their self-image. It can harm their thoughts among many other things. We get lax because it's easy. We get lax because everyone else is doing it. And then sometimes we shrug our shoulders and we say, why are we losing our young people? Sometimes it's because of lax standards at home. Finally this morning, why are we losing our young people? Is it possible because we sometimes spend little time together as a family? We simply cannot Hear me clearly because I don't think this is controversial. We simply cannot fulfill God's word and God's design for the family without spending time together. A father cannot be the man he is supposed to be, the husband and the father. A mother cannot be the mother that she can be from a distance. Again, I understand sometimes work, sometimes travel, sometimes sports hinder on that just a little bit. But if you think you can be absent from your children and be the parent you should be and never spend time with them, I think you're sorely mistaken. We need time to be an example. We need time to teach them. We need time to listen, listen to their problems and to offer help. We need time to try to understand them. And many of you that have raised teenagers already said that's an impossible task to understand the teenager. But yes, we need to try to understand them. We need time to build a relationship with them. When we think about little time together as a family, Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16, See then that you walk circumspectly. That may be the version that you have. 
You may have a version that says carefully. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. And notice the phrase, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So question, can you say in your current lifestyle that you are redeeming the time? Not as fools, but as wise. Can you say that you are redeeming the time when it comes to your family and your children? Can you say that you are redeeming the time that you spend together? I know we have a lot of places to go, and we are often all going many different ways with many different things. But are we redeeming the time? We need to consider that. Here's what we do know. Life is short. Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Life is short. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. For what is your life? It is even like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We know that life is short. We also know that eternity is determined by how we live this short life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not just about talking about it. It's not just about thinking about it. You've got one short life. It's what you do. That is how eternity is determined for you and for me. So it is imperative. It is of great necessity that we not waste our time being childish. Many adults like to try to continue to act like children. Folks, parents, grandparents, it is imperative that we not waste our time acting childish. It is imperative that we not rely on trial and error. We'll just figure it out as we go. You know, we messed it up with a couple of our kids, but we've still got a couple more, and we'll try to figure it out by then. It's imperative that we not turn to the experts to help us figure it out in all means. We must turn to the Word of God. We must train our young people. And here's the deal. Bible camp, it's a great place to start. Bringing them to vacation Bible school in a month or so here and other vacation Bible schools, it's a good place to start. But it takes parents and Christians who are willing to help and to mentor and to teach and to train and to encourage one week at Bible camp, as much as I love it and I'm excited about it and we're thankful you send your kids, one week at Bible camp is not going to be enough. One week out of the summer isn't going to fix everything. Because here is what else we know. It's not over. It's not done. If this question was being asked 10 years ago and still being asked today, then these five things that we've discussed are not inevitable. They don't have to be the way. We can do better about our time. We can do better about our standards. We can do better about teaching them and training them. We can avoid bad examples. We can avoid being poor examples for our children. We can pray for our young people and continue to guide them. And we can continue to learn from them because sometimes they teach us some great lessons about life. And they teach us sometimes how to be humble and how to serve Christ. This morning, as we conclude this lesson, we do extend heaven's invitation. As is sometimes the case, this is not a lesson that ties maybe perfectly in with that. It might be that you're here today and you're not a child of God. We'll be singing in just a moment this psalm that's been selected to encourage you. 
You can be a proper example, maybe for your children or grandchildren, maybe for someone else in your life. But ultimately, that in some ways is not the end-all be-all because you have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you need to be right with God by becoming a Christian, being baptized for the remission of your sins, allowing the blood of Christ to wash away those sins so that you can be added to the church and begin to live faithfully and serve him. Maybe you're here today and you've done that in times past, brother or sister, but you've wandered away. Maybe, just maybe, it's some of these family-type things that we've talked about that you realize you've struggled with and it's hard and it's difficult and maybe you'd like forgiveness along something of those lines. Maybe it's nothing regarding that at all. Maybe you just know there's some type of public sin that you would like removed from your life by praying to God for repentance, confessing those things to him, and we know he is faithful and just to forgive us so that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. The point is, is we can begin setting the proper example right now. It's be a proper example for our young people, but first and foremost, it would be doing the right thing in our life. Maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. We'd love to assist you as we stand together and as we sing.